0: This week on Geek Explained, we say goodbye to the Marvel and Netflix collaboration that captured the imagination of fans around the world. Whether it was the devil of Hell's Kitchen or the hero of Harlem, each member of this fan favorite team deserves to be recognized for bringing to life some of Marvel's greatest characters. So we'll be doing just that as we rank, recommend, and remember the Defenders. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the Defenders. This is Marvel's street level team that they kind of collaborated with, not kind of, exactly collaborated with uh, Netflix on to kind of make their own cinematic universe uh four distinct one two three four i guess five distinct shows that uh kind of interconnected with each other leading into the defenders uh miniseries that only got one season but um yeah it was a i think a wildly successful collaboration that ended up churning out some of the best marvel properties and marvel stories at least in live action that we've ever seen um and unfortunately with the uh cancellation of the last defender jessica jones and the release of her season three uh two weeks ago if you haven't checked out our uh review of jessica jones season three definitely check that out that's uh last episode um it's it it's it's done that's it so um today's episode is going to be kind of like a uh, Defenders, a Marvel's Defenders in Memoriam. We're going to go over the shows themselves. I'm going to officially, definitively rank them all from best to worst, season by season. And then I'm also going to give you some recommended reading because if you liked these characters at all, which I'm sure at least one or two you definitely did, because I definitely did, uh, and you're Also, like me, sad that we're not gonna get any more of these stories maybe you could pick up some of these stories that uh, focus on the Defenders and will be able to kind of fill that Netflix Marvel Defenders void that is now in your life like it is in mine. So we've got that. We've got our news segment. We've got this week's uh, weekly review on the most recent episode of Swamp Thing as well as this week's Comics Countdown. But for now, let's kick it on over to the news segment. All right, so we've got some news for you. Uh by the way, I am still working out a title for our new segment if you'd like to uh, suggest a title for our new segment. Feel free to do so on any of our social media, Twitter or Instagram at Geek Pod. That's at Geek P O D. Give us a follow as well. Or through email, because I'm an old man and I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com. So we've got some news for you today. I I think the the format that we set up last week worked pretty well, where I sectioned off the news in film, in TV, in comics, and miscellaneous. So we're going to kick it off with the comics news this week, which uh, starts with, I think, a very controversial piece of news. Uh, We talked about last week how Marvel put out a webbed countdown that was counting down to something starting at the number four which got a lot of people hyped up for a possible spider-man four uh adaptation i guess in comics form and then when it counted down to three people were just completely uh thrown for a loop and they didn't know what to do but people kept the hope alive because who starts a countdown at four who does that uh counted down to two and then one and then on Thursday it was revealed that the countdown was not to a Spider-Man 4 uh, adaptation in the comics. It's not to a Spider-Man Fantastic Four crossover, which was said as much by uh, Marvel's editor-in-chief, C.B. Sapolsky. Um, It turned out it is a Spider-Man miniseries, which is going to be releasing this fall, penned by J.J. Abrams and his son, henry um i am not familiar with henry abrams whatsoever other than the fact that his dad is jj abrams uh from what it seems like jj is going to be doing the or working with his son on the basic story and then his son henry is going to be actually writing it uh the reason that i think this is kind of controversial a lot of people don't know how to feel about it is because this feels like nepotism It feels like uh, Henry Abrams isn't a proven comic book writer. He hasn't done anything, and he's kind of getting his, he's getting to cut his teeth on Marvel's biggest character because his dad is J.J. Abrams. And I think that's unfortunate. It sucks for a lot of people who I know are in, you know, the industry and have to work their way through smaller characters, their own books, all the way up to getting just a taste of working on a character like Spider-Man for one issue, where this person who, again, unproven track record, we don't even know if he's a good writer, uh, is getting this opportunity. And I think that kind of sucks. Uh, I'm going to re... I'm gonna withhold judgment on the actual book itself until we see it. Uh, It is pretty exciting that it is being drawn by Sarah Pacelli, co-creator of Miles Morales. Big fan of Sarah Pacelli's art, always been a fan of hers. Um, But I'm just, uh, I don't know how to feel about this. I'm I'm on the fence right now, because I know a lot of people are really excited, but I think even more people are outraged, and I'm not at like outrage level yet. But um, we're just gonna have to see. We're gonna have to see previews. We're gonna have to see uh, the first issue come out. And I think once the first issue comes out, then we can uh, start to kind of form a more uh, concrete opinion on it. But for now, it is—it's—it's uh, it's kind of a sticky subject. Also, in comics news. Uh, also coming this fall with Marvel, apparently, we are getting the final issue of Mark Waid's Doctor Strange run. Uh, previews and solicits went out for a lot of Marvel's uh, fall releases, and Doctor Strange number 20 uh, has the solicitation basically saying that it is going to be the final Doctor Strange story. Uh, whether that's that means they're canceling the book, whether that means it's going to be turned over to a new writer, we don't know, but... Um, I don't know how to feel about it I think uh, I still think Jason Aaron's run on the character is one of my favorites if not my favorite Doctor Strange run um, a lot of people have been recommending The Oath to me recently and I need to read it I haven't read it but I'm going to but I really really enjoyed uh, Jason Aaron and Chris Boccolo's run on Doctor Strange and I finally decided to pick up the first trade of the uh, Mark Wade. Uh, Jesus Sia's run and I actually really enjoyed it too uh, Enough that I have the second trade ordered and that is coming in real soon. So I Really like it. I liked it more than I thought I was going to so um, We'll see we'll see I'm getting caught up I um, I'm just interested to see where they go next with the character, especially because we do know that Doctor Strange 2 is on the horizon. So we will see what happens there. Uh, in other comics news, this not so uh, not so interesting, or not so, not interesting, but uh, not so positive. Uh, over the weekend, Brian Michael Bendis' Twitter was hacked. We don't know exactly by who or for what reason, but um, it was just hacked. It was just completely decimated Uh, a lot of his tweets were deleted his account was basically stripped bare and was then put on lockdown and apparently according to bendis himself uh marvel and disney were instrumental in getting the uh security back in and the reins handed back over to bendis it sucks it sucks anytime one of these uh Breaches of, you know, social media happens. It sucks for everybody involved, but I'm glad to see that it's been resolved and Bendis is back to doing what he, uh, what he does on the Twitter. Now with TV news, and we only have one piece of TV news this week. Uh, the Russos. If you don't know who the Russos are, they are the directors of the biggest comic book movie ever, Avengers: Endgame. And it was stated by both of the Russo brothers that after Avengers Endgame, at least for now, they are done with the MCU. They are done with Marvel, making Marvel properties, and they are riding off into the sunset following the biggest comic book movie ever. But uh, that does not mean that they are done, done with uh, genre filmmaking. They are now teaming up with Netflix to do an animated series based on Magic the Gathering. Um, I think it's interesting. I have lots of friends who play Magic. Shout out to everybody that I know who plays Magic. Um, And this is kind of exciting because from what I know, I'm not a huge uh, Magic Gathering fan. I've seen it in passing. and Of course, I do have uh, some of my closest friends who play it. But Um, there seems to be a really, like, deep and rich backstory and lore to it, so if the Russos bring to that the kind of world building that they brought to the MCU, I think they'll be in good hands. Finally, in, um, movie news, we are... Getting the first reviews for Spider-Man Far From Home, which comes out next week. And early reviews are super positive. Uh, Lots of people are saying that it's very good. Lots of people are saying that the post credit scenes are really, really mind-blowing and important. So I will be looking forward to that. Um, But yeah, a lot of people... Some people are saying that it is basically just kind of a uh, all the stuff that they liked and disliked in Homecoming is still present in here. There's just a globetrotting element to it. But I, for one, really enjoyed uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, If you remember, it was in my uh let's see here i had it in my top 10 for the uh, mcu our official mcu rankings and i'm excited the whole idea of the multiverse bringing in mysterio there's a lot of stuff to kind of juggle with this film and i hope they stick the landing on that uh we're also getting a re-release for endgame we just talked about russos and their uh their comic book masterpiece which is avengers endgame and unfortunately it wrapped up its uh theatrical run last weekend and it did not unseat avatar at the box office for number one film of all time um it's unfortunate i think uh it's like what like 40 or 45 million dollars behind, which is like in retrospect just such a tiny margin, but also a huge margin. So, Marvel has decided to try and get over the hump that is Avatar. Uh, they are going to re-release Endgame. I don't know if it's just for one weekend or for if it's for a full-on uh, eight-week run like the previous run, uh, but this is going to feature an introduction by the Russo Brothers, an unfinished deleted scene, a tribute to Stan Lee, as well as a big preview for Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, that releases this weekend, so if you want, you can watch the re-release of Endgame and then go watch... Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home next weekend and it's uh yeah so um I'll probably go see it if for nothing else than just to uh tell inform you guys what all was on there but I think that this is you know the big last ditch effort to pass Avatar if this doesn't work it's not gonna work so we will see what happens there in other film news uh apparently the Ezra Miller Flash film is back on with uh Ezra Miller as the Flash and apparently, according to a, uh, a report, Ezra Miller, once he's done with filming Fantastic Beasts 3, is jumping with both feet into, uh, Flash season... Or, the, not season. Uh, Flash solo movie. And I'm not sure if they're shooting for, like, a 2021 release day or 2022. Who knows? Um, last that we heard, or last that I heard, at least, um they were he was working on the film with uh grant morrison cool awesome but then we got an, another report like two weeks later where he was basically like off the project we it was kind of a quiet thing we didn't know but apparently he's back on so we'll see um i'm not sure what to make of this but uh yeah as more information comes i will definitely let you know about it and then the last piece of news that we have in our miscellaneous category just one piece of news is that batman is officially getting his star on the hollywood walk of fame um i think it's cool that we're getting a, uh, a superhero finally on there he definitely deserves it um i don't know if superman is on there he might be he might not be um Superman should have the first star first of all, but since it is, you know, more about uh buying your space on the sidewalk than actually a merit system, I guess it makes sense that Batman's going to be on there first. Ooh, shots fired. Um, but I also think that and I think someone else mentioned this too on Twitter. Uh I would honestly rather see uh maybe the comics creators that were on there, you know, Bob Kane, Bill Finger, um, Maybe some of the people that made him as, you know, famous as he was uh, and brought him to the ballgame rather than the character himself. Just honoring, like, comic book creators because they don't get as much uh, recognition as they should for creating these amazing characters that have stood the test of time. So I think it's a shame. I think that that people who really should get recognition uh, aren't getting it, and I hope that this changes. But good for Batman. So uh, that's going to do it for this week's new news segment, once again, uh, trying to figure out a title for this, so feel free to let me know what your suggestions are, and uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the main meat of the episode, the entree, if you will, which is officially ranking, recommending, and remembering the Defenders. Right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are diving right into it. The Defenders, the Marvel Netflix collaboration, The Defenders, focusing on one, two, three, four, five different shows. Um, When I was putting this list together, I was shocked because for some reason in my mind, I was like, oh, it's going to be, you know, like eight it's like a top eight. That's it's a weird number. You know what else is a weird number? A top 13, because that's how many seasons of Marvel's Defenders there were. And that's encompassing all five shows, all seasons of every show. I was blown away. I was like, there, there, there is too many seasons that I just completely glossed over I guess so um, I'm gonna be ranking them first of all going from 13 all the way to one worst to best and then uh, I'll be giving you recommended readings for each defender so um, let's kick this off Uh, by the way if you can hear it they are doing roof work on uh, on the directly on top of our apartment apparently uh we were not informed by our landlord that they would be doing work and for how long it's been going on for like a week and a half and uh yeah they've just been showing up and stomping around on our roof at like seven in the morning so it's been lots of fun so if you hear any of that stomping that is what's happening um but yeah so we're gonna start off with number 13 which is iron fist season one I think a lot of people probably expected this um i after looking through everything wasn't positive that it was going to be this but going through each season individually this had to rank the lowest because for me i was really excited about iron fist i was really excited i love the character and it just fell flat for me uh there's not enough action in a kung fu show um, Danny Rand fell really flat for me as well. Uh, nothing against the actor. I'm sure he's a great person and I've liked what I've seen him in other shows but uh, he just was not he did not come to play here uh, which sucks because he has a really healthy supporting cast he has a great supporting cast I think in fact uh, one of which being Colleen Wing who absolutely runs away with the show this season and um, it's uh, it's a shame because I think with a lot of what they had to play with, they didn't do anything with and it's it's unfortunate. Uh, number 12, we have Luke Cage, season two. Uh, this one, I think, is better than season one of Iron Fist, but it's still pretty on the low end. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the villain of the season. Nothing against uh, Bushmaster. He is uh, interesting to look at. The actor does a great job. The fight choreography is fantastic. But when you had the highs of the first season villain, which we will get to, um, it really just pales in comparison. And watching Luke Cage kind of morph characters in this season was also really unsettling for me. Uh, What I liked about the characterization in the first season and with... um, the first Defenders season, was that he was essentially a uh, black Superman. He was a good guy who was doing what was right, even if it was unpopular or the hard way to do something. And here you saw him kind of crack under the pressure, and you saw him turn into this character that I don't think the first season uh, gave any hints towards, and by the end he ends up being a mob boss, which goes completely against what he set out to do in the first season, and because there is no season three to pay that off, uh, we're just left with the season that isn't really uh, anything. I will say, though, talking about Iron Fist in the last entry, um, the best episode of this season is the crossover with Iron Fist, where we see a completely different Danny Rand than either... Uh, season one of Iron Fist or in the Defenders. Um, and my favorite my favorite part is they're walking down the street and Danny Rand is acting like Danny Rand from the comics, just being upbeat, uh, very zen, and he's just having a good time. He came to play. And Luke Cage just looks over at Danny Rand and he's like, you seem different. And Danny just goes, I am different. And then just walks away. And like, that's it. That's all they talk about. And um, it's just one of my favorite interactions and the two of them working together Heroes for Hire it is exactly what it needed to be so that is the one shining bit of this season next up and I I switched this with the other uh with the spot that was previously here but at number 11 we have Jessica Jones season 2 uh Jessica Jones season 2 is not a bad season but it is not a good season. It does not follow up on the promise of the first season, nor does it reach the emotional heights of the third season. Uh, this was a very personal season for Jessica, but unfortunately that didn't really pan out when it came to the narrative or the storytelling. This kind of uh, put the noir storytelling and the detective aspect in the backseat, Um to tell a more personal story, and also to really uh, give some more conflict between Jessica and Trish, which I didn't think was really there in the first season. Um, And this season successfully turned, at least me as a viewer, against every single person in Jessica's supporting cast. By the end of this season, Jessica Jones is alone. And all of her supporting cast are so unlikable by the time that the season ends that I really didn't want to see a third season because I thought, well, we've basically turned everybody against her and now she's back to square one running Alias Investigations. So what more do we need here? But um, I did enjoy the the one episode where uh, Kilgrave showed up where he was basically like a hallucination for her. That was great. David Tennant is fantastic. But this season just didn't do it for me. At number 10, breaking into the top 10, is Defenders. This is the eight-episode miniseries that brought everybody together. They're Avengers. And um, this ranked higher than I thought it was going to. A lot of people, I'm sure, will put this at the very bottom. But um, I wouldn't put it there. I think it's very comfortably at... uh, number 10 here because it pays off the promise of all of them interacting uh i really liked all the interactions between our four leads here uh they really put a spotlight on the fact that iron fest is the weakest character like uh in the character development i guess uh comparison with everybody else because everyone is so interesting in contrast to him and i think after this is when they decided oh man we probably need to give this guy some character but i really enjoyed the interactions between uh, matt and jessica getting luke and jessica in the same room once again after they haven't really spoken to each other since the end of jessica jones season one was great Uh, The action that was there I thought was really stellar, even though the entire final battle is in this super underlit cave where you can't see anybody, Uh, which sucks because they all have a distinct color palette and none of them are really just used. But um, I did enjoy the fight scene between Matt and Iron Fist, which once again highlighted how much better Daredevil is than Iron Fist. But... um, but yeah, I enjoyed the characters. I thought the hand had a lot of promise at the beginning, but halfway through they just kind of dove off a cliff and Electra became the main villain, which is fine. I like that actress and I like the characterization of Electra, but it just felt like a weird bait and switch. So uh, that is the reason that it sits at number 10. At number 9, and I was surprised that it ranked this high is Iron Fist Season 2. Iron Fist Season 2 is better in every way than Iron Fist Season 1. Uh, there's more action, there's more character development. Danny Rand feels like an a character here. Uh, there's more Danny and Colleen, which is great, and there's this underlying uh B subplot with Typhoid Mary, which I thought was handled really well. Uh, The season I was really enjoying, actually, watching through, uh, getting the character bits here and there. And then the end of the season just, oh, it was so close. It just, oh, man. Uh, It had Danny basically giving up his Iron Fist ability to Colleen, which is fine. Colleen's a great character. Uh, But then she became the Iron Fist, and he became this want to be uh orson randall character and i love orson randall i love orson randall as a iron fist he is one of the greatest characters if they were gonna do an iron fist movie i would have them set it in the 40s and i would have it with orson randall danny rand is not orson randall and them trying to merge the characters Or at least the characterizations of each. Because they did give hints towards Orson Randall. And I believe that season 3 was going to be Danny Rand hunting and then meeting Orson Randall. But them basically just diving. Once again diving off a cliff. And just dropping the quality down really bothered me. And I was. This was probably the only show that I finished. And I was actually like angry about. Because I thought it was so close to being good that it just didn't. Uh, that it didn't stick the landing really bothered me. So that is our number nine. At number eight, we have the first season of Punisher. Punisher season one uh, holds our number eight spot. And uh, this was good. I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, I think his uh, interactions with Billy Russo are fantastic. The two of them work really well together. And the actor who plays Billy Russo is very, very good. Uh, John Berthall was born to play the Punisher, and he's fantastic in this. The supporting cast is actually really strong as well, and I really enjoyed them. We bring back Karen Page for a short time in here as well. Um, but this uh, the show starts slow. The first half of the ep- of the season is really slow, and that's where a lot of people kind of dropped off on it, which I understand. Um, bringing in uh, Micro was also really cool. I liked that, um, but it is a slow burn. Of a season and I understand that that with a character like the Punisher you don't want something like that you want all action all the time but I think that having that characterization having this journey that Punisher went on was good and having this him slowly finding out Billy Russo's uh, role in his family's death was also really well executed really well done but it is a slow burn of a season so I that's why it sits at number eight. At number seven, we have the first season of Luke Cage. I really enjoyed Luke Cage. I really enjoyed Luke Cage. I thought Luke Cage felt so different from Jessica Jones and Daredevil before it. And it had its own flavor, bringing in Harlem with the soundtrack, the color palette, I thought was really, really well done. And of course, it has one of the best villains of the entire Netflix series. Uh, Defenders universe in Cottonmouth. Uh, Mashal Ali plays this character to perfection, and it is a shame that he goes out halfway through the season and we are left with Copperhead, I want to say. and um, uh, I can't even remember her name, but uh, the Councilwoman. I don't like her as a character. I never really did that she was one of the big reasons that uh luke cage season two ranked as low as it was because i just that actress is really really good but the character is just garbage and i really didn't enjoy her but luke cage i thought was fantastic all the scenes of the nightclub how they made it feel like it was a precursor to what the episode would be opening every episode with a musical number i thought was really really well done and i enjoyed the flavor of luke cage as a show uh, number six is Jessica Jones season three, the final Defender season, the last Defender, if you will. Um, I enjoyed the season a lot. If once again, check out our episode, uh, our, our episode last week for a full spoiler filled review on Jessica Jones season three. But overall, I thought it finished really strong. I thought it was really good. Um, it brought it back to basics with the, uh, noir storytelling the soundtrack just everything the relationships were once again kind of set back to what they were in season one uh but this season just kind of fell short for me because of partially because of the fact that we knew nothing was going to come out of it nothing was gonna continue on because of it i thought it ended really strong and it ended in a way that you could see the show itself ending which i thought was good and um i think the season really just falters for me because of the threat the uh, The villain isn't as strong as I think previous villains have been and it's really hard to top the season 1 villain which once again we will get to but it is overall a strong show that I think does have its weak points so it is number 6 number 5, top 5 here it is at number 5 we have Punisher Season 2 I loved Punisher Season 2 I thought it was one of the strongest shows that Netflix has put out when it comes to the Marvel brand, and all of the faults that the first season had—slow burn, not as much action, too much character development—is you could tell is improved upon here. The film or the uh, the creators, the showrunners listened to the feedback, put that into this show, and this show is fantastic. Is there filler? Maybe a little bit, yeah, but. Every single episode matters, every single character matters, and the through line of Punisher versus Jigsaw is amazing, and it's just so well done. Uh, Frank Castle's Road to Redemption continues in this season, and the way that it ends, and similarly to how uh, Jessica Jones Season 3 ends, where it's just these perfect, like, this character is now fully formed, and he is the Punisher, he is who he is, and... I just, I loved it. I loved this season. Super, super good. At number four, we have Daredevil Season 2. Daredevil finally gets on the board here. Um, This season is the weakest out of all three Daredevil seasons. But even as the weakest season, it is still hella strong. And I think that has a lot to do with the first half Mainly for me, I think the first half is stronger than the second half. But the first half features the debut of Jonathan of Jonathan Burnthal. Jonathan Bernthal as uh, the Punisher. He is so good here. But this is a pun- this is a Punisher who is more closely associated to how I think a lot of people see the Punisher as a character outside of his character development. A lot of people see he as this murdering psychopath who is a man on a mission who just kills people as he sees fit and that is exactly who he is here but we see a growth and a development with him through this season which leads into the first season and the second season of punisher which i really like and seeing the interactions between punisher and daredevil is always amazing whether it's uh, in the comics, in TV, in animated series, what have you. It is fantastic. And the two of them work so well off of each other. Uh, also, having the little cameos from Wilson Fisk were fantastic. And I loved Elektra this season. Electra was fantastic. She is this just absolute sociopath. And I love her. She is fantastic. Uh, bringing in the hand, I thought, was also a really good touch and kind of built this intrigue into the first uh, big battle that led into the Defenders, so I really liked that, and I also, personally, as a small just me touch, I really liked, uh, that they did away with the awful season one Daredevil cowl, and they gave him a much better cowl for this season and next season. Just as someone who has, uh, and does cosplay and loves analyzing costumes, uh, I think the... Updates to the costume, making it a darker red, more of a uh, burgundy, and giving him a brand new cowl that exposes the uh, at least exposes the hood that he wears over his ears. I thought it was much much better than the uh, final uh, look from the first season. So overall, love this show. The back half of it is weaker, and I think the last couple episodes, when it is just the hand, are the weakest of the episode. Or of the weakest of the episodes of this season but still a very very strong show at number three we have jessica jones season one and i'm sure there are some people who are surprised that it ranks this high but there have to be people who are also not surprised whatsoever because jessica jones season one is so tight so well constructed as a detective noir story that it had to rank this high the color palette is fantastic it set itself apart from daredevil which at that point had been very well established in its characterization its flavor its formula that bringing in jessica jones in this way having all the noir elements was very well done the voiceovers the soundtrack is one of my personal favorites out of all the netflix shows and it's just it really is carried by Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones. She is perfect casting. Uh, this also has one of, if not the best villains in the Netflix shows, which is David Tennant as Kilgrave, the purple man. Uh, I was really sad that he never went full purple, but I understand uh he's just amazing he chews the scenery as much as he can without being obnoxious and he presents a very real incredible threat to everyone in the season uh the way that he convinced hogarth's uh wife to do the whole you know death by a thousand cuts thing is traumatic and it is beautiful Uh, But I just think he is fantastic, and it is a shame that they killed him at the end of this season. I understand why they did it, because there is no possible way that uh, he could be left alive with how powerful as he is. But I think it also, in retrospect, uh, was a detriment to the following seasons season 2 and season 3 of Jessica Jones, where it really you could feel the absence of Kilgrave because he was so strong here now getting into the top two and i feel like these two can be interchangeable honestly uh but the way that i ranked them the way that i personally ranked them is as thus and number two coming in at number two the runner-up the silver medal here is daredevil season one uh daredevil season one is our number two and it was close it is very close here uh but daredevil season one i think is objectively the best told story in the netflix seasons out of all of them as a self-contained one season arc this is the best that it gets um Just, there's so much good to talk about this. I could do an entire episode, I could do an entire month just talking about how good Daredevil Season 2, or Season 1, is. Uh, From the hallway fight, to the costume, to Wilson Fisk, to the hand, the very brief uh, use of the hand, to Foggy, to care, to everybody, is so well done here. But the main reason that this works, the biggest factor contributing to the success of this show is Matthew Murdoch Charlie Cox just like I said John Bernthal was born to be the Punisher Charlie Cox was born to play Matt Murdoch he is so freaking good he is just just incredible like if I ever do like a ranking of MCU heroes god forbid I don't know if my heart could take that um charlie cox is in the top three easily easily it's no contest um matt murdoch is just incredible and i've never been more in love with this character than i was for this show and that was born out of this season. Um, the trials and tribulations he goes through, being a vigilante, I love the black suit. What I love is a lot of people were like, oh man, this black ninja you know, vigilante suit, give us the red suit, give us the red suit. And then we got the red suit. And then in season two, people were like, no, put him back in the black suit. We like the black suit. Um, I just think it's hilarious. And I uh, I really adore his journey through the season again when it comes to comic uh costume stuff uh i loved how as the season goes on he puts on more padding and then um of course that leads into him getting the costume from uh gladiator which i also loved uh season also has i think If not the best, but one of the best villains, which is uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. He is just, he is a tour de force. I know that uh, that terminology comes with a weird connotation, but he is absolutely amazing in this role and he is very different to the wilson fisk that i was expecting and i think a lot of people were expecting because he plays him i don't want to just go out and say oh he's autistic or he has you know some kind of uh mental or uh health disease but he plays him with this uh with these quirks that make him so different from any other Wilson Fisk interpretation, comics or otherwise, that you just fall in love with him as a character. Watching his journey and him courting Vanessa, you really buy into and you root for them. You root for Kingpin in this show. And it is just, ah, oh, it's so good. It is it is just amazing. And I love it so much. But there can only be one best marvel netflix defenders season and that distinguished position the gold medal goes to daredevil season three i have never out of watching all 13 of these as they came out on release i have never felt more emotionally invested more um creatively fulfilled than i have watching daredevil season three i can binge Daredevil season three at any time. But it is so emotional. It is so um, heart wrenching for all of these characters, even characters that I think could have come off really uh, annoying, like uh, Detective Nadine. I didn't like him at the beginning, but by the end, they got you to root for him. And so when he dies, it is heartbreaking. Um, Karen gets a really strong arc here. Foggy gets a great, really strong arc here. Uh, We get these people who are just so emotionally broken and they're only really whole when they're together. That also goes for the villains. Kingpin comes back strong here. He comes back in force and he is wonderful in this season. He is just at his most kingpin that he has ever been in the season. He even dons the white suit, which I love. Um, But he is just fantastic here. Uh, This also introduces one of, again, the best villains in the Netflix shows, which is uh, Wilson Bethel playing Bullseye. Uh, It is just incredible. Bullseye is the best that I've ever seen him. Uh, A lot of people... When they think of Bullseye, I think of Colin Farrell's Bullseye from the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. But this one just blows that out of the water. He is so fantastic. Every single time he has a fight scene, I would... And this is absolutely true. You could fact check this on me. Um, Every single fight scene that he is involved in, I just would uncontrollably and audibly shout everything is a weapon because that's his superpower he could turn anything into a projectile and make it kill people he almost kills Vanessa in the final episode with a microphone uh the office fight which is probably the best fight of the season taking out the uh the hallway fight is just him versus Matt and him using common office supplies just ricocheting a uh, a stapler off of a wall and hitting Matt directly square between the eyes is just fantastic he was incredible as a villain um he's he's just amazing and I'm sad that we're not going to get to see him in another season because he was the quintessential best version of this character just like all of these actors in this show play the best versions of these characters but of course we got to talk about the main man we got to talk about charlie cox's matt murdoch here uh this season is very very loosely based off of born again which is probably the best uh daredevil book best daredevil story ever told uh this comes very close though this season um and It shows, because this is a hugely personal journey for Matt Murdock as a character. He dons the black suit once again, and he fulfills the uh, prophecy that Punisher makes in the fir- or in the second season where he says, you're one bad day away from being me. And in the moment that he has the worst days of his life, he gets the opportunity to break every vow he's ever made and kill Wilson Fisk. But he has this completely just, oh my God, emotional moment where he says, you do not get to win here. You do not get to change who I am. And that just, uh oh, Oh, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Um, this is a character who plays to his strengths. This is a character who knows who he is even through adversity and retains who he is as a character. And this entire season is a love letter, not just to Daredevil, not just to Matt Murdock, not just to the property, all of these characters, but to the storytelling of this show in itself this is a love letter to all of the marvel defenders this is a love letter to all of the netflix stories this is a love letter to marvel comics as a whole and if you have not watched this season you need to do yourself a favor sit down binge the entire season and then come back and you can geek out with me on how good it is it is possibly i will say i will you know what i'm gonna put my, uh, I'm gonna put the flag down. I'm gonna draw my line in the sand. Daredevil is the greatest comic book TV show ever. Period, bar none. I love the DC TV shows, but Daredevil is hands down the greatest comic book show ever created. All three seasons are strong, even though two is the weakest out of the three. But this show also wraps up in a way that they're. It's just, it's perfect. It is perfect. Does it lull? Yes. Does it have an entirely weirdly placed filler episode based on Carol, or uh, not Carol, De- God, Karen Page's uh, backstory? Yes. We Did we need that? No. But uh, outside of that, this show is the culmination of everything in the Daredevil mythos, and I absolutely love it. So that is our definitive rankings. As a recap, number 13, Iron Fist Season 1. Number 12, Luke Cage Season 2. Number 11, Jessica Jones Season 2. Number 10, Defenders. Number 9, Iron Fist Season 2. Number 8, Punisher Season 1. Number 7, Luke Cage Season 1. Number 6, Jessica Jones Season 3. Number 5, Punisher Season 2. Number 4, Daredevil Season 2. Number 3, Jessica Jones Season 1. Number 2, Daredevil Season 1. And number 1, Daredevil Season 3. But now that it is all over, now that all has been said and done, what do we do with this Hell's Kitchen-shaped hole in our hearts? Well, um, we're going to read some comics. Uh, I have a list of comics for, uh, I think that you guys should definitely check out if you're interested in these stories, if you love these characters like I did. Uh, It's just basically one one book per character, and then I've got some honorable mentions that feature multiple characters within them. So I'm going to start off with Frank Castle, the Punisher, and right here I have Punisher Max by Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon. This is a really interesting story because it is a complete, almost full life and death of Frank Castle story. We get him... In prison, we get him doing his vigilante thing, and Jason Aaron is just one of the greatest uh, comic book writers that is currently working today, and his work on Punisher absolutely reflects that. So I would definitely check that out. Next up for Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, I have the Immortal Iron Fist run by Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, with art by David Aha or Aja. this is, for me, the definitive Iron Fist book. If you are interested in this character, if you like this character, if you want to know more about this character, the Immortal Iron Fist run is just perfection. Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction weave an amazing narrative crossing generational lines, crossing uh, country and national lines, and David Aja's art is fan. In our endgame postgame, I recommended the Hawkeye run by Matt Fraction and David Aja. This run came before that, and you can see the sparks of brilliance that come from having the two of them on the same team that were in full force in the uh, Hawkeye book. It is absolutely amazing. And if you like the Iron Fist character or the mythology, definitely, definitely check this out. This also features uh, Orson Randall, so can't go wrong with that. Next up, for Luke Cage, Power Man, we have CAGE, with an exclamation point, by Gendy Tartakovsky. If you think that that name sounds familiar Genndy Tarikovsky it is because he is the uh, driving force behind cartoons like Samurai Jack he is a wonderful storyteller who really thinks outside the box and that is reflected in this story he is both the writer and the primary artist on the story and he does an amazing just an amazing job of taking this character and dropping him into new environments and new situations so if you're looking for something that's a little bit out of the box a little bit Bit wacky but all luke cage definitely check this out for jessica jones we have alias by brian michael bendis and michael Gaydos. this is the original uh alias jessica jones run this is the origins of the character this is the very first book that ever featured her and it is the best i think personally um bendis's most recent run, his final run with Jessica Jones, I thought was pretty strong, but nothing is ever going to top this initial run. I was actually introduced to Jessica Jones by uh, my partner's father. He had he was a big fan of the Alias books, and he lent me the first volume. And after reading the first volume, I was hooked, and I had to read the subsequent volumes for that. So definitely check this out if you like Alias. If you like Jessica Jones, there's a lot of noir elements that are... Uh, implemented into this book it's not going to be as heavy-handed as it is in the show but there's a lot of detective work a lot of investigations and just getting on the ground level and seeing these heroes like Captain America and others kind of from the perspective of someone who is super jaded about the superhero community is really really cool and I really enjoy it and finally we have Matt Murdock Daredevil the devil of hell's kitchen and I have Daredevil by Mark Wade. By Mark Wade, of course. With art by Paolo Rivera and Chris Somni. Um, of course, with the uh, debut of Season 3 back last year, the uh, the episode was put out. I, of course, recommend uh, Daredevil Born Again. I think it's the greatest Daredevil story ever told. But I think that this really gives it a run for its money. It's a extremely close second, if not just barely edging born again out on any given day mark wade takes daredevil in directions that no one has ever seen before and i don't think we've really seen since um, a lot of people say that people are just trying to ever since born again came out everyone is trying to catch the uh lightning in a bottle that frank miller and david Mazzucchelli got with that story and i think mark wade palo Palo Rivera and especially Chris Somni really do that they take Daredevil and make him almost a swashbuckling uh superhero and that's not to say oh he goes on a pirate ship but that kind of uh devil may care attitude bringing a bit of fun back into Matt Murdock's life where his life is very very dark um is a welcome change and I think if you want something that retains the essence of the character while giving a sharp contrast to the tone of the Netflix shows, this is definitely something that you should check out and definitely something that you should put your time into. Mark Wade and Chris Somney are a magic team together, and they were at their best, I think, with Daredevil. So that is it for those. I do have the honorable mentions featuring a couple uh, team-ups. First up, I have Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary by Donnie Cates with art by Travis Foreman. Uh, this was a, I believe, a five-issue miniseries that was released this past year. Kind of celebrating, like a... It says in the title, the 20th anniversary of the Marvel Knights imprint, which back in the uh, late 90s was kind of the reinvigoration of the street level characters in Marvel to combat uh, really bad sales. And this, what I love about this story is that it's basically Marvel's version of Flashpoint. Uh, Flashpoint is an iconic, not just Flash, but DC Comics story. And this story really gets uh, Marvel's take on it taking some of the darkest characters, some of the darkest turns for these characters, and really just cutting loose with them. So I would definitely check this out. Next up, I have Defenders by Brian Michael Bendis with art by David Marquez. Uh, Bendis is writing The Defenders. It's basically, you know, our main four defenders, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil, and it's a great story. This was Bendis really kind of pulling out all the stops in his last couple years at Marvel, and David Marquez' art is just, it is amazing. It is beautiful, it is gorgeous, and you owe it to yourself to read it, if for nothing else than just for his art. I will say that the end of the book kind of uh, falls off, because the last like issue or two uh, had really... You know been set up to be these big things but bendis i think was trying to just kind of get out and so the ending is a little flat but everything leading up to it is very very good and punisher does make a great appearance as well as a wisecracking merc with a mouth if you're interested in that character and finally the uh big book that i have for honorable mentions is power man and iron fist Written by David F. Walker with art by Sanford Green. This is a wonderful, wonderful book. And is what I wish the Netflix uh, shows have been brave enough to do with these characters. Because putting Danny Rand and Power Man together, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, it is absolutely magic. And there is a reason that this team has just suffered through so much in the Marvel continuity but still just keeps going strong they have been just outlasting other teams since the 70s and they're so strong together Danny Rand is such a f- it's such a fun character in this book it is the exact opposite of how he is played in the show and I really love the interactions between the two characters it is absolutely just magic it is just a great great book the art takes some getting used to I will say that I didn't pick up the initial run because I was turned off by the art but once you get if you pick up the first volume like I did after it was recommended to me uh, once you get through the second issue you kind of get used to the art and everything really kind of falls into place and you get to see how good the story is and how good these characters are together so it is absolutely something to pick up for sure so to recap I have Punisher Max by Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon Immortal Iron Fist by Ed Brubaker. This is going to be Immortal Iron Fist Volume 1 specifically. Uh, by Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and David Aja. Cage! With an exclamation point. By Gendy Tartakovsky. Alias by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gados. Daredevil by Mark Wade. By Mark Wade with art by Palin Rivera and Chris Somney. Marvel Knights Twentieth Anniversary by Donny Cates and Travis Foreman. Defenders by Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez. And Power Man and Iron Fist by David S. or David F. Walker and Sanford Green. And that is going to do it for this week's episode, the main portion of this week's episode, of course. We do have the the weekly review as well as this week's Comics Countdown coming up. But I want to know from you, what did you think of the Netflix Defenders series? Uh, What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? What do you think of my rankings? Uh, Am I completely off base with some of my picks? Please let me know. I would love to compare lists with you, whether that's on Twitter or Instagram, at GeeksplainedPod, that's at GeeksplainedPOD, or through email, because I'm an old man and I still read emails, to Geeksplained at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, all of that stuff. Uh, I love these characters. I love these stories. Daredevil, I think, like I said before, is the greatest comic book Uh, television show ever period fight me i'll win and i really think that these characters um, just deserve to get another shot whether it's on disney plus whether it's in the mcu proper uh, these characters really deserve to be uh, represented by these actors and these people maybe not all the actors but these people who put so much time and so much effort into crafting one of the greatest I think, one of the greatest interconnected universes in all of comics and one of the greatest television shows of all time, that being Daredevil. And I truly believe that the world and the comic community as a whole is a better place because of The Defenders. And that beautifully haunting melody can only mean one thing. It is time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are waist deep in Swamp Thing. That came out wrong. It sounded weird. We're just going to move past it. Uh, We are... On our way, we are almost halfway through Swamp Thing, the live-action Swamp Thing show that is on the DC Universe streaming service and app, and we are reviewing this week episode number four, titled Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, This episode takes its title from the classic Bruce Springsteen song, and as I'm sure if you've been watching any number of superhero shows for any length of time, uh, this title gets used a lot and it's a cool title, don't get me wrong it's a cool title Uh, but a lot of times when the title is used especially in the superhero genre for uh, titles of episodes it's really nothing more than that, it's really just a just a cool sounding title for a kind of darkish episode but this one i think really serves the episode it serves it really really well um that's because of all the darkness that is seeping into Moray. this episode is fantastic uh this is i think what i like about this show is that it keeps a steady uh it keeps kind of a steady standard when it comes to the quality of each episode. What I liked most about Doom Patrol was that every episode seemed to top itself. This doesn't exactly do that, but it's keeping a consistent tone and a consistent quality, which keeps it from uh, dipping down like Titans did. So I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, the title, I think, references a lot of things. I think it references the inner darkness inside of uh, Avery Sunderland. We get flashbacks from him kind of his childhood him being brought up by what I can only describe as like you know father of the year material right there Uh, we also see how it's starting to kind of eat away at him the fact that he you know killed the banker from the last episode and the episode kind of opens up with him burying his body in the swamp Um, we also get a literal darkness eating its way through the town uh, first in the form of i want to say his name was todd he was like one of the guys out on the uh working for sunderland because he has his like his underlings going through uh the swamp collecting samples making sure the accelerant's doing its job and whatnot and uh he gets just a gnarly scrape on his arm from some like uh from some corpse from some cadaver or whatever it is and this causes the scratch and as we see it kind of spread throughout the episode causes deadly hallucinations it starts with Todd I'm, I'm gonna keep calling him Todd uh, starts with todd he hallucinates that there's a snake on his arm he has a fear of snakes and so he takes a knife and he he's trying to stab it and get it off but all he's doing is stabbing into his own arm and then he sticks his arm inside of the garbage disposal um i was eating when i was watching this episode and uh i would not recommend it I wouldn't recommend it for any of the episodes, but this episode in particular, especially during this scene, uh, I had to put my food down. It was, it was that bad. Uh, and by bad, I mean fantastic. Uh, he transmits his scrape to Delroy, uh, the father, I believe, of Liz. And he sees, uh, I want to say it was his dead wife. And so he gets, uh, he starts loosening in the middle of like the little uh, dive bar that they have, starts trying to shoot up the place. Uh, the, um,. I want to say her name's lucilia uh runs in she's the she's matt's matt's mom the sheriff uh she runs in he scratches her so the hallucinations are making their way through like physical scratches kind of like uh like an infection you know we solved one infection in the last episode and now we're dealing with another infection in this episode um she sees uh matt being killed in the middle of Avery's party and tries to basically kill anyone in the vicinity and then she transmits it to uh, Abby and then Abby starts to see all kinds of stuff but she realizes that it's from the swamp so it needs to return to the swamp she brings it back to the swamp where uh, Swamp Thing takes it from her and is able to use the as of yet unnamed green to neutralize it so that's that sickness lasted much much shorter than the initial illness which is good so i'm interested to see where they go from here um what I really liked in this episode and I thought was really strong aside from the gore and the visual effects was uh, the relationship and the chemistry between Abby and Swampy uh, I really really like I looked up the actor's name who's actually playing Swamp Thing it's Derek Mears you've seen him in plenty of stuff usually playing some form of monster and he's fantastic in this role and they really click uh, Abby the role that they gave her like the uh, outside scientist who gets gets caught up in supernatural things. Uh, it's really easy, I think, to uh not or basically it's really easy to make it turn out not as uh not as serious. It's really easy to make it campy and really like eye-rolling. But Crystal Reed, who plays Abby, is very, very good and she gets you really invested in her and wanting to see her succeed. Uh, I really enjoyed her in this episode. She has this headstrong, focused, she's trying to come at everything with a scientific, analytical point of view, but it's just, there's no explaining it that way. So, I really enjoyed it. I really like their chemistry together. Um, The fact that they're able to share scenes and it doesn't come off as, like, goofy or campy, I think is really, uh, speaks to the strength of the show and the narrative. So, I really like that. I also was really surprised by uh, Woodrow's kind of weird, uh, you know, helpful turn this week. Uh, he tried to help Abby with her uh, analyzing the, I guess, the sample of something that she was looking at when she's trying to determine whether he's a plant or a man. And uh, I'm not sure. I still I still don't know how to feel about Woodrow. Um, I mean, the actor who's playing him is just fantastic he's doing a great job most of the times when you see that actor he's playing kind of a uh, a dumb henchman so i like that he's kind of going against his own type and he's really like putting forth the effort to do good and he's doing really well at playing a character who i don't know what his motivation is or I don't know where he's going to take his objectives and how he's going to get to them. So I really enjoy that. Uh, I also really enjoyed what we got of Cassidy this week, blue devil, uh, who still hasn't turned into blue devil, I think yet, but, um, he is searching for answers and he is doing a weird kind of like stalker, not stalker thing with Abby right now. Cause he thinks she's the key to him leaving Moray. So, um, we'll, we'll see what goes on with him. Uh, we, we really don't know what his role in the show is at this point, so I'm really hoping that we get more of a uh, more of a clue into that next episode. The biggest tragedy of this episode though is of Susie. Uh, she's just been completely uh, cleared of the illness. She, her she's back to normal she doesn't see i don't know if she still has her connection with swamp thing i believe she still might but it might be more dormant than it was in previous episodes but she is scooped up right away and basically bought from her skeezy uncle by the sunderlands by avery sunderland specifically to appease his wife and basically to get her in a more pliable mood so that he can continue to take money from her and i think it's horrible because we I'm getting more of the uh, idea that it wasn't just um, Abby involved in uh, their daughter's death. I have a feeling that Mama Sunderland is not a great mom so we'll see i don't have any definitive proof for this but the more that she kind of sinks into her delusions and the more that avery is trying to placate her with this this is just this is going to end up going bad i think it's going to be really bad i also really like that we went back to the swamp that the ill that the sickness kind of started in the swamp and went back to the swamp and we're we're like doing everything they're doing everything in their power to uh tell us about the green without actually naming the green which i think is hilarious but uh i'm really interested to see if they talk about the eternal battle between the green and the rot if we're going to get there i'm sure we will but i would like them to speak about it more in the coming episodes and then we got the tease that you know this is this is only the beginning swamp thing has made it very clear that he knows something he can feel the disturbance in the green um, and that this really is the beginning of their problems, that the swamp is going to continue to fight back. And I, like we've said previously, I really love the idea that Marais is a character in itself as the town. I like that it's almost fighting against itself. It seems like if we're talking about like medical and scientific stuff, it is trying to, uh, Cure the sickness from itself, the sickness being people. So we'll see if we get that environmentally uh, in your face about it or not. But I'm interested to see where they go. I'm interested to see more of the rot, more of the green, and how that affects each of the characters. One thing that I really want in the next episode is, A, more Blue Devil, more Dan Cassidy. And B, I want to know what this show is going to do with... Woodrue. I need a direction for him. Uh, He's been smarmy, he's been great, but I really want a direction for him besides just kind of a smarmy scientist who is stepping on the authority of Abby. So those are my thoughts for this week. This is our weekly review. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode, if you've been following up with it. If you haven't been watching Swamp Thing, why? Uh, Definitely, definitely check it out and You've still got time. Catch up. We're almost halfway through. It is a 10-episode season. So uh, next episode, this Friday, will be the halfway point. So it's a perfect time to get caught up, watch the first four episodes, jump into the fifth episode on Friday, and we will continue on here. But for now, let's hop on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop on Comixology or however you get your comics these are the ones I think you should definitely be checking out we'll be talking about each book's title the creative team behind each book as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well and of course each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices if you have a synopsis voice you would like to request uh feel free free to do so on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, or through email to geeksplained at gmail.com. Of course, our social media is at geeksplainedpod.com. That's at Geeksplained, P-O-D. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books. And I will say War of the Realms is dominating our choices this week. It is four out of the seven books that we have are focused all around the big event because it is, of course, ending this week. So we are getting a ton of stuff, whether it's tie-ins, whether it's... Like required reading for each book, Uh, it is definitely worth your time to pick these books up. But we are going to start off with Detective Comics number 1006, written by Peter J. Tomasi, with art by Kyle Hotz, or Hotz, however you pronounce that. I apologize, because I know I pronounced it wrong. Um, This book has been really good. Uh, The Arkham Knight story is all wrapped up here for now uh if you read last uh the last issue detective comics 1005 uh, you know that she has a cult-like following now and she will return but this week we are dealing with a different kind of vengeance that being the spirit of vengeance the specter so we'll jump into the synopsis here Detective Jim Corrigan has been shot on the streets of Gotham City, and the Spectre must reach out to Batman to help him find the secret assassin. So yeah, uh, Spectre doesn't get the love that he should. Uh, we actually haven't seen him in a while, so I'd be interested to see what happens here. The Spectre is, of course the spirit of vengeance attached to the human body of Jim Corrigan. So we'll see. I always enjoy, uh, Spectre Batman stories just as much as I enjoy Batman Phantom Stranger stories. So we'll see where that goes. Next up, we have Wolverine exit wounds. Number one written by Chris Claremont, Larry Hama and Sam Keith with art by Salvador LaRocca. Also Sam Keith and Scott Eaton. Uh, this book is I think really interesting um i'm really i i think with all the uh jonathan hickman x-men stuff that's coming out uh or coming up at least in uh next month in july uh we've kind of lost sight of the fact that both wolverine and cyclops are kind of back in the world uh Wolverine, of course, is some of the best stories of the X-Men. That's why outside of the comics, people put so much stock into telling his stories, whether it's in films, cartoons, shows, whatever. But these are some of the best stories Creatives to ever put stories out for Wolverine. So I'm really excited, uh, especially for Chris Claremont. His run on the X-Men is legendary, of course. So let's jump into the synopsis here. He goes by many names. Patch, Weapon X, Logan. But most just call him the Wolverine join Marvel's greatest storytellers for three brand new untold tales of the X-Men's deadliest member. Blood, Broads, and Blades. You asked for it, bub. So yeah, uh, it kind of seems like this is going to be a Wolverine anthology book, which I kind of like. Um... Getting those kind of stories outside of the main uh, Uncanny X-Men books and Age of X-Men books before Jonathan Hickman just goes in and resets it all. Um, I'm really excited for what he's gonna do. I've heard a lot about Powers or uh, House of X and Powers of Ten. That's right, it is Powers of Ten, not Powers of X. Um, we don't know why yet. I think it's dumb, but we're gonna find out when uh, when those books drop. So definitely pick this one up, though. It's it's gonna be fun. Uh, Next up, we have Flash number 73, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. This is continuing the Flash year one story. Uh, The issues have been solid so far. I'm kind of wondering where they go next because it seems like the uh, first two issues, they pretty much wrapped up everything that you kind of need for a year one story pretty neatly. But the uh, last issue did end on an interesting cliffhanger where Barry has been shot for the first time. So we'll see what happens here let's jump into the synopsis now <sighs> the flasher one continues as our hero picks up the pieces from his disastrous defeat at the hands of the turtle the rise of the rogues in the central city gives the flash renewed resolve but barry is still learning to master his abilities and while an experienced speedster might know how to re- outrun a gun this time he may not be so lucky <sighs> i think i think i'm I think i'm slowly getting better at that i don't know we'll see but uh yeah so i'm interested to see more uh origins for the rest of the rogues we saw snart in this last issue and i'm interested to see whether we'll uh we'll get to see weather wizard heatwave trickster all those guys so um definitely pick this one up year one has been solid so far next up we are entering into war of the realms territory and we're kicking it off with superior spider-man number eight written by christos gage with art by Land medina Uh, This has been really good. I love the idea of putting Superior Spider-Man with this iteration of the West Coast Avengers. Uh, If you didn't read the, the most recent West Coast Avengers run, do yourself a favor, pick it up. It is a ton of fun with some great characters. And having all of them combined during this massive event has been one of, I think, one of my favorite bits of this big comics event. So let's jump into the synopsis here. War of the Realms tie-in, Otto Octavius and Quentin Quire, BFFs, with America Chavez as the power, transportation, and, well, only real hero. Can Superior Spider-Man and the West Coast Avengers help turn the tide against Malekith and his forces? So, I like that this has kind of turned into, like, a strike force, like, they are going into just do some damage and putting Quentin Quire and Otto Octavius together is a match made in heaven and I am here for it. Next up we have Avengers number 20 written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGuinness. This is another War of the Realms tie-in dealing with the basically the big final battle that's happening in the final War of the Realms issue and this is basically just I think an expansion of that so we'll see. Uh, Let's jump into the synopsis. War of the Realms tie-in. The final battle for Midgard. Captain Marvel leads the War Avengers. Hulk battles Ulick Blade takes on the Black Berserkers of Roxxon. Plus, Daredevil, the god without fear, has a cryptic message that will decide the future of the team. So, what I like, uh, the cover kind of features the main avengers team but from the synopsis it seems like it's dealing with at least for the most part uh some of the more tertiary characters in the avengers universe uh i think one of the best received elements of this uh big crossover has been the daredevil story i believe it's in war scrolls uh war War scrolls not war scrolls um Turning him into the god without fear and basically giving him Heimdall's ability to see everywhere is, I think, an inspired choice. And I'm really interested to see what they do with him after this event, where, of course, I'm sure Heimdall is going to take those abilities back. So this this is really good. Next up, we have Thor number 14, written by Jason Aaron with art by Mike Del Mundo. And this is another War of the Realms tie-in. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. War of the Realms tie-in. As a young god, the valiant but unworthy Thor pined for a hammer beyond legend. Now, his destiny arrives at last. For the War of the Realms will reach even here hundreds of years in the past. So, we're getting young Thor again. Uh, Young Thor is one of my favorite Thors written by Jason Aaron because he is just douche bro Thor uh, wielding his axe and being a total dick so I'm all for it the cover shows him going up against what looks like the Venom symbiote I'm sure with the constant revelations that are coming out of uh donny cates and ryan stegman's venom book that venom's uh interactions on earth reach way further back than we could have ever imagined Uh, they are going to throw down with an inexperienced thor who has not yet become worthy enough to lift the hammer we still don't know what uh the point was that he became worthy and i'm sure i am positive i'm gonna put my prediction down now that jason aaron before his run of thor is done and we've gotten that uh that news that jason aaron will be doing the old king thor book and that'll be like the uh the end of his thor run that it is going to be revealed when he became worthy and how i don't know if this uh if this book is specifically going to address that but It's a step in the right direction for sure. And finally, War of the Realms number six of six is the must-buy for this week. Written by Jason Aaron, art by Russell Dodderman. This is what we've been working towards. This is what this entire... Uh, pretty much Jason Aaron's entire run on Thor has been working towards is this War of the Realms book and now we are at the conclusion many, many people have suffered there have been a lot of deaths there have been a lot of sacrifices and now we are going to see if it was all in vain Um, I'm so excited for this book I think even though uh, some people have been very critical of the story and I can can absolutely see their points there are just way too many tie-ins for this Um, The main book itself has been really solid, and I've been really enjoying it. So let's jump into the synopsis of the final act of the War of the Realms. The world-shattering conclusion of War of the Realms. The tides begin to turn as unexpected allies appear in a twist that will shake the heavens. Malekith's allies are faltering at last before the might of all Earth's heroes, but the Dark Elf King has one final trick, and it's got a venomous bite. Out of options, the God of Thunder makes a sacrifice that will leave him forever changed, but will it be enough, and what heroes may fall in his wake? Midgard's fate is sealed as Jason Aaron's year-long saga comes to its epic conclusion. So yeah, after a synopsis like that, it's like this is this is the final chapter. This is the culmination of his run. This is what he's been building towards for years. I At this point, I equate Jason Aaron's Thor run to Jeff John's Green Lantern run. Um, it's just that good and has been going on for that long. But of course, just like Jeff John's Green Lantern run... Uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run does have to come to an end at some point. Is this going to be it? Uh, We know that at at some point in the very near future, Jason Aaron is handing off the Thor reins. I don't believe it's been announced who it's going to be given to yet. But they have some big shoes to fill, especially after this event. This book is fantastic, and I think you should definitely pick it up. So, to recap, we have Detective Comics number 1006. Uh, Wolverine Exit Wounds, number 1, Flash, number 73, Superior Spider-Man, number 8, Avengers, number 20, Thor, number 14, and War of the Realms, number 6 of 6. And that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Uh, It really does help us out. Um, let me know if there are any books that you think I missed, any books that you think I'm not reading that I should be reading I love uh, discovering new comics, I love getting recommended new comics uh, all the time, so please let me know, I would love to hear your recommendations, and that is going to do it for this week's episode uh, let me know what you thought of everything we talked about today, whether it was our news whether it was about the Defenders show if you disagree with my rankings please let me know, I would love to have that conversation, um, I I think a lot of the shows really i think were good to great with a couple that were just fine um but i don't think there were any that were super just awful bad complete just horrible dog shit i don't believe that um even though a lot of people probably do believe that about a couple of them but um i think it's it's bittersweet that we are saying goodbye to uh to our marvel defenders but hopefully this means that whether the characters will live on or get rebooted they will be given higher stock especially after they have to follow up what they did with daredevil um i really i just ah man that whole cast from kingpin to foggy to matt to karen everybody involved in that are the perfect versions of these characters um and i would say that About most of the castings for this for the Netflix shows so it is bittersweet I'm really uh, looking forward to what they do with these characters going forward we have an entire phase 4 phase 5 phase phase 6 however many phases they're gonna go with the MCU so we will see especially now that the Disney Plus shows are going to have a direct influence on the MCU so uh, let me know what you thought of all of that uh, next week Let me check the schedule here. Oh, okay. So, um, next week uh, will be a full review for Spider-Man Far From Home, which is coming out on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know how this news just got by me. Um, My whole schedule got, like, thrown off all of a sudden because I didn't realize. I just didn't realize that um the date had moved up and it is now being released on July 2nd instead of July 5th. So, um yeah, apparently that's a thing, apparently that's now happening. So, uh yeah, next week will be a full uh review for Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh let me know uh if you guys are excited about far from home i sure am i know that uh a lot of people are really interested to see what happens in this film especially because they've been so secretive about it uh if you haven't checked out our episode on mysterio definitely give that a listen that was back last year um if you just look for it in our queue you'll probably find it if you would like to know more about Mysterio and possibly get a hint as to what might be happening with that character in this film but uh yeah so expect a full spoiler filled review next week for Spider-Man Far From Home uh same geek time same geek channel but for now for Geek Splain, this is Eric Azana thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time